नमस्ते इन एंशंट इंडियन थॉट एंड स्पिरिचुअल सीकिंग देर वॉज नो स्फियर ऑफ लाइफ विच वॉज एग्जैम्प्ट फ्रॉम ए डीपर अंडरस्टैंडिंग दिस वॉज समथिंग वेरी ब्यूटिफुल इट्स बाई इट्स नेचर इट्स एन इंटीग्रल स्पिरिचुअलिटी शुभिंदु टेक्स दिस इंटीग्रल स्पिरिचुअलिटी टू इट्स अटमोस्ट हाइट्स लेटर ऑन पोस्ट बुद्धिज्म पोस्ट शंकरा ए डिविजन स्टार्टेड कमिंग इन वेयर एज वेयर इन लाइफ वॉज रिगार्डेड एज ए फील्ड ऑफ माया मीनिंग देयर बाई इट वॉज ए फील्ड ऑफ इल्यूजन एंड डिल्यूजन एंड देर वॉज गॉड अबव होम वन हैड टू अराइव एट बट इन एंशंट स्पिरिचुअल थाट द टू वेयर टू स्टेप्स ऑफ वन ट्रूथ दे वे नॉट दिस सेपरेट दैट सेपरेट दिस केम लेटर ऑन and shirobindo has added a third step to it so the two steps were this is life and when we prepare ourselves rightly through life then we become a candidate for the beyond so beyond was the ultimate reality but you have to go through life you can't skip it but shirobindo adds a third step it is the return to life and transforming it which is makes a, a whole lot of difference so uh, one of the things that is uh, the most challenging in when we take to spiritual life is the seed of desire and its grip is very strong on human nature and its grip is strong because desire was the force that ploughed matter hard rocky soil it is the one that moved inert things so you can imagine what power it is that it moves inert the most inert things which are refusing to budge and desire comes and moves it so that is the power of desire it's called as the troubled seed in things so much so that there are there is a whole line of uh, spiritual thought metaphysical thought for instance buddhism where it speaks of creation as a result of desire so you can imagine uh, you know its power and we we often are asked upon to reject desire because if we remain tied to the desire we cannot take to the true divine self but it's not as simple as it seems and one has to look into the processes what is its origin and then understand it so in indian spiritual thought the way of overpassing desire was a stepwise process so the stepwise process was that first you have a solid base of self discipline self training in the first 25 years the brahmacharya ashram where you learn to concentrate you train the mind train the body train the vital energies then you enter into the field of desire that is what is grahastha literally means to possess graha grahana <laughs> so it is the field of possession so during the grahastha ashram now because already one is trained one starts by gradually exercising sanyama shobindu speaks of this in in his very beautiful essay the process of evolution he says that if you apply nigraha without sanyama it doesn't work it will only give an artificial coloring so sanyama was that you regulate it so you go through the grahastha life wherein you have the things of desire but you are doing it according to the basis of dharma and what is you know more like a sattvic bhav then a time comes when we are ready to get rid of it that's when one applies nigraha that's when from grahastha you go to the vanaprastha ashram wherein now you spend your time contemplating the higher truths the deeper things the the vaster aims of existence and then finally the moksha sanyas this this was the sequence 
and even now between human troubled human life and the spiritual life there is a plane which is the sattvic plane one has to go through the sattvic uh, uh, you know a sattvically regulated life otherwise very difficult to leap into that plane so i thought we'll read one of shirbindo's poems kamadev the godhead of desire there are two very beautiful poems interesting poems one is kama and the second is kamadev so in kama he describes about how when all these mountains rivers they are lying desolate this desire grips them and makes them churn and move so in indian thought if you see the story of kamadev one of the names that kamadev has is called manmath now what is the meaning of manmath manmath one that churns the mind man ko mathne wala so it is born in of uh, there are two stories about its birth one is out of brahma another which is more uh, generally accepted is out of vishnu and lakshmi ji it's it's a, it's a god like birth it is a god that's why but the moment it is born as the story goes all the gods in the assembly start having churning in their own heads they are troubled by this they just can't you know hold because that is the influence of the child so as the legend goes and he grows up into a god of love a vital love there are several gradations of love kama is the god of vital love and shrivinder has lifted the vital love to its utmost heights in the story in in his poem love and death love and death is about vital love but it's a love where there is the ultimate sacrifice for the sake of the beloved shrivinder himself has said it's vital love but a love which opens the door to such a great heights he has taken it that even the gods are troubled because of ruru's love for pramadwara so this is kamadev he is born of uh, vishnu bhagwan and lakshmi lakshmi is the goddess of love but of a love which is very deep refined pure she is the goddess of human love actually that's how the mother describes that mahalakshmi's love is more human and uh, for animals for creatures for everybody and she prepares when you go through her then you are ready for the divine love which divine love is the next level so if you have gone through her there has to be a certain degree of refinement and everything then you are ready for the slaying of the ego which you know divine love will come and do it <laughs> otherwise one is not ready so in the legend kama has described we all know is a young god like cupid in greek mythology so he is forever young meaning that why he is forever looking toward the future you see when people are overtaken by love they are always looking about the future plans suddenly they start thinking think of thinking of beauty and what will happen next what will happen all beautiful things but after the god takes leave then you start living in the past but otherwise it's always it's a youthful god its touch makes you feel younger so this is how kamadev is depicted as a forever young god and he is shown as carrying a dhanush and the dhanush has two sides one side is thir and the other is chanchal it's very interesting when you see the description of kamadev's bow one side is forever rooted firmly and the other side is forever moving around and then yes we know the arrows five arrows with flowers and the power of the arrow is such that even shiva couldn't resist it it's a different thing that he burned but uh, a yogi like shiva whom none nobody could bring him out of his trance so in his arrow uh, his arrows are three pointed so the three are the three worlds and the three modes of life so one part goes to brahma so it is it kamadev initiates the creation 
and the second part goes to vishnu so the preserving preserving and maintaining see when you love somebody the care and all this comes along with it and the third is destruction which is very interesting it's not destruction the third part of the arrow points towards shiva and it is said that kamadev also grants you moksha now this is most difficult to understand so the way i have understood is this that love is the first step through which human beings come out of their ego self and if you see the long journey of moksha you cannot have moksha as long as even you have the illusion or the desire to have moksha that is a paradox because it's still a desire but the moment you come out of the boundaries of ego there is moksha but where does that first infant step starts it starts with love it could be love for somebody who is you know a plant or animal or human being family this is the first step through which we step out of the boundaries of the ego and that is why you'll see that when people experience love human love i'm saying they suddenly feel a great joy ever wondered why it is so because they come out of the boundaries of the ego that is the whole beauty and the moment the ego comes back the whole problem starts again so love brings the joy by suddenly opening up the doors out of the ego into something vaster so this is the story of kamadev and we know his uh, is described in the puranas he is not described in the vedas and the story goes that shiva and parvati have to have a child to destroy tarkasur and uh, shiva is in trance so parvati tries everything she has done great path of yoga she has already towards but she has to come out of his trance so he doesn't come out of his trance look at the story he doesn't come out of his trance to the entreaties of parvati he doesn't come out of his trance out of that and therefore the gods beckon kamadev and he knows what end he may meet but it is by through his arrow that shiva comes out of his trance but as he comes out of his trance his third eye opens and he is destroyed as the story goes and um, then rati his wife consort curses parvati she says that you will never beget a child and now this is a paradox you now gods land up always in impossible situations from which they have to come out so the whole whole purpose was to have a child so then there is a new revelation which we have in shiva and parvati and it is this so shiva says that kama will stay but in his anang form because the whole creation stops the balance of creation love is the cord that binds even the stones when you read mother's uh, what she speaks about love and shurbindo when he says he gives so much importance is any form of love even where it is degraded and diluted purify it but don't destroy it because it's the power that can save creation you have to purify it refine it so we see this power becomes impersonal anang so it it works in a impersonal way and subsequently the same energy is born as pradyumna through sri krishna now what does it mean sri krishna is the one who once again released the power of love in creation actually it means this and if you really look before sri krishna if you look at the upanishadic and the vedic period you will find this trick which is missing at least i found it missing vedas are great and upanishads are great tremendously great literature but somehow you feel that where is that love that bhakti that element of you know even that you know it's all the time taking you to a height tadeva brahman tvam vidhi nedam yadi damu pasate even when it says ki you know all this is atma and the extension of atma you love it i mean something amazing but you can't be dealing with everything as atma you know there is also the tatva in it so if i look at the story symbolically 
The story means that Sri Krishna once again restored love at a very human level also to its primal, beautiful place where it should be. There is another poem I am reminded of, Shorabindu, in this context of love. And that poem is not very well known, but beautiful little poem. It's called Radha's Complaint. Heard about this poem? It's a very sweet poem. So Radha tells Krishna in that poem. See how he released human love. So Radha tells Krishna, you have, you know, deceived me with your smile and you have gone away. Leaving me feeling betrayed. So she says, okay. I, I will, uh, next life, I will be born as the son in Braja's house. And you will be born as Radha. And I am going to bewitch you with my smile. And when your heart is completely captured, then I will leave you and go. It's a very beautiful little poem, Radha's complaint. She says, I want you to experience what it means to love and leave. And it's something which Sri Krishna is a master at doing. Shubhinder speaks of him even in who he says that he you know leaves us weeping and then lures us again. This is typically his way. Why? Because he takes us from one illusion to another, enlarging it. It's the way of the Isha Upanishad, by the way, which unknowingly we are doing it in life. That you suddenly enlarge your field, your understanding repeatedly and slowly you reach a point where you see the finite is merging with the infinite. So this is the story of Kamadev. Very interesting story. You can imagine Shiva himself, you know, coming out of his trance by the power of Kamdev. So, uh, people speak very lightly about conquering desire. Must understand who is the foe. (laughs) So, (laughs) before you speak about him. So, there has to be a progressive refinement. Kamadev is son of Goddess Lakshmi and Vishnu. So, Goddess Lakshmi is refinement. So, from the crude animal kind, it should become more and more refined. And when it becomes thus refined, then it is ready for the next leap of the transmutation. One can literally use the word transmutation because that's how. And another thing which is very interesting that Shubindo reminds us in the poem Kama. So he says the rule of the game has been made by Kama. Kama makes the rule of the game because the world starts by him. He says, okay, I'll make a rule for everybody. So what is the rule he has made? They who, they who pursue me shall lose. If you pursue, you will lose. But they who turn away from me, I will come to them and give them whatever they need, whatever they wish for. And this is the rule of the game. But you can't practice it by saying this is the rule of the game, very nice. Now I'll turn away, but my eyes is still on <laughs> that laddu and kulab jamun. <laughs> no? So it doesn't work like that. As Sri Ramakrishna would tell very interestingly, he would say that, you know, when do you leave that good kamitai? He had a very simple way. He said, when you actually taste Rajbhog. So when you taste Rajbhog, you cannot have taste for it. And this is a process. So this stress should be on finding God. That's how the Gita also says, Param Drashtva. The, ent- the ultimate knot breaks only when you have a vision of the divine. It doesn't break otherwise. And that's why we see the great importance in the Gita itself. Now, having a vision of the divine is very difficult. Sri Krishna says, Param Drashtva. How are we to have a vision of the divine? So, Sri Krishna, out of deep compassion, what does he do? He says, okay, I'll reveal myself in my, through my word body. That's why one of the most liberating chapters in the Gita, if you don't want to read any other chapter, this might, my understanding, just read chapter 11, where Sri Krishna reveals himself in his Vishwarupa. It's very liberating. 
Because when you read it, you suddenly are into that boundlessness that, okay, all is Krishna, all is his doing, all is absorbing, all is releasing. Then this idea that me, mine, that chapter is not to be, it's, it's a darshan, it's not about intellectualization. It's simply the vision of the divine in all and the divine is all which liberates us. And that's why often, um, the, now Shirobindo, because he has given it in a much more beautiful way, it is in Savitri. Several places. Now, Param Drashtva is very difficult for human uh, beings. I mean, you need a tremendous tapasya because our eyes cannot behold God. They will burn away. We will burn away, forget the eyes. So, what Shirobindo has done and what the great mystics, is very rare to find a vision of the divine in spiritual literature. You know, people talk about, I saw God and all that, but what he does it look like? So you see it in the Gita, but with Shurabindu, it is such a beatific vision. So he brings that vision close to us in his, through his word body, Vangmede, and several places he has described him. But most of all, of course, book 11, where he describes, you know, the head of that form, the mouth, the eyes and everything. And after seeing that form, even reading about him, if I can say with this with uh, certainty that if one is troubled by anything strongly, these are the two places where you will find the liberation. One is when he describes the Divine Mother in a transcendent form. At the head she stands of birth and toil and fate. And the second is in book 11 where he describes the Lord, vision of the Lord. So this is how the knot gets broken. But the Divine doesn't break it abruptly because there is a whole evolutionary chain that will be disturbed. You have to go through that process. If you try to leap, you will stumble and fall into the abyss. So there is a spirituality is a patient process. It's not like, okay, I mean, one Shukadev, but most people have to go through like King Janak as a Jivan Mukta. That is the process. So we read this poem, Kamadev, beautiful poem. When in the heart of the valleys and hid by the trees, hid by the roses, the sweet love lies. So we don't know, you know, where it will suddenly cease. It's everywhere. Has he wings to rise to his heavens or in the closes, lives and dies? Is he born to just be there and die there or does it have wings to... At one place, speaking of wings, Shurabindu says when love comes at a vital plane. It's in Kingdoms of the Greater Life where he speaks of egos, moth wings to take the seraph soul to the skies. I mean, it's obviously a touch of irony and humor. It looks like it can take you to the skies. So during that phase when people are in love, they feel, you know, they can suddenly leap to the skies. But it doesn't work. Egos, moth wings. Carrying the seraph soul to the skies. So here is revealing this truth. On the peaks of the radiant mountains, if we should meet him, proud and free, will you not frown on the valleys? Would it befit him? Chained to be. So love is a force which seeks union at the same time freedom. It's a power which you cannot chain this force. Such is its tremendous energy. And therefore, Shabindu says, there is a love which lies in the valleys with the roses and there is one on the desolate mountains. And are they the same? Would it befit him to go down to the 
you know, valleys, it seeks that freedom. That's why it is said the ultimate act of love, the most difficult act, is to set free. Very difficult. And true love has its basis in freedom, but very, very difficult because to set free means complete and absolute trust. It's one of the most difficult acts of love. And at one place, the mother speaks of it very beautifully. She puts it, you know, when somebody speaks of, now she makes a difference between freedom and independence. So there are people who like to be free and independent. So they don't like love. Why? Because love means you are bound. So she says people want to have a choice between love and independence. So she says, I met a mystic and uh, there was a little story where the mystic was asked that uh, I want to be independent, I want to be independent. Then the mystic said, oh, then you don't want love in your life. And she says, it is so true. Then she says, how it can be reconciled. And very beautifully, she gives us a path of love. You know, yoga of love is not just that we are doing bhakti in the, you know, with all those things and that's yoga of love. The mother gives a very beautiful hint of arriving at freedom through love. But love of a very, you know, wide kind. She says that there is only one freedom which is possible to man. It is the freedom of the Lord. There is nobody else who is free. It's all illusion of freedom. So how to arrive at freedom of the Lord? She says the shortest path to union with the Lord is through love. And how? She uses the word service. So when you serve with love, in fact it is said love is incomplete without service and knowledge. One of Shurabindo's very beautiful writings, that if you don't have the urge to serve, it is incomplete. And also love should lead to knowledge. Why? Because when you love somebody, you will know the person. By the very fact that you love, even at a human level it applies. So if you don't know, there is something which is missing. That love is not deep and intense enough. So this love, which she says, will lead you to freedom through acts of service. And therefore, love is actually, freedom is reconciled with love in service. When you serve, and she says anyone. This is a very beautiful um, passage from... Uh, early writings of the mother. When she speaks about the infinite mother, she never imposes herself, she doesn't judge, she doesn't condemn. So then she says, such is her love. And what should we do? You know, in this poem, there will come a line where she speaks of that. She says, what should we do till we find that oneness with her? She says, we should make ourselves the servant of all. Like her. Can we imagine the Divine Mother becoming a servant? Ever imagined? But is there any other in this world who does everything for everybody without judging? Does he not go to a pariah, pariah who asks for him that please grant me something? God comes. Does he not look after the million, billion things in this creation without as much as getting a wage of thank you? Does he not you know, fill the flowers with colors and beauty. Look at his countless works and service. So he doesn't mind to be anybody's servant. And why does he become a servant? Because he loves. That's the poem God where Shubindu says that master of all who work and rule and know, servant of love. So here comes this wonderful line. Will you then speak of the one as a slave and a wanton, the other to bear? But God is the only slave and the only monarch we declare. See, the same poem God comes in a different way. 
O thou who disdainest not the worm to be nor even the clod. He doesn't mind serving even an elephant who is in distress. He doesn't mind serving even a stone which is lying on the road idly. The dumb prayer of the animal, the bird, the beast, the stone reaches him. So Shubindu says, Master of all who work and rule and know. Servant of love. And we see the same bhava here. But God is the only slave and the only monarch, we declare. And perfect monarch, this again Shubhendra speaks, uh, describes in his beautiful writing, Superman. He says, who is the Superman? He says, Superman rules to serve and serves through service he rules. So he rules. Why does he rule? Now today there are elections. So why does he rule? He rules so that he can serve people. He doesn't rule to become a king or a you know leader of people. He rules so that he can serve. And he serves and by serving he rules. So they are reconciled in the divine. So he says, no, they are not two different. This is love and that is not. Both are love. This leads you to that. When we have, and look at again, Shubhendu's line in Savitri. After we have served this great divided world, God's bliss and oneness are our inborn right. You can't skip this stage. So here comes this beautiful line. Will you then speak of the one as a slave and a wanton, the other two bear? Look at two aspects of love. And if you really look at it, the mountain, mountains are a perfect example of that. The sweetest streams flow from the heart of the mountain. Purest and sweetest streams. So it is the sign of the ascetic who holds within himself tremendous love. And you see this in Shiva and Parvati's story. Shiva the ascetic is also the Shiva who is Nataraj. Can you imagine? Shiva actually goes and dances to please Parvati and to impress upon her. He is the Nataraj. So he is at once in Shiva we see the two reconciled. So he is the same God who is bare on the mountain tops and the same God who in the valley hides in a closet of roses. It is God who is love and a boy and a slave for our passion. He was made to serve. Very powerful lines. Very difficult for the Puritans to really understand God. No, no, God is above. You see in Sri Krishna's stories and uh, the very beautiful writings, uh, some pad also of Surdas, Sabse Uchi Prem uh, Saudai. Duryodhan ke meva tyage saag vidur kar khai Arjun ka what does he become? A charioteer to Arjun He is the monarch of the worlds Yet he says I will drive the chariot It's a menial job you know Karna look the difference Karna was told you can become a charioteer Look that story is so beautiful at many levels But when Karna was told you can become a charioteer He says how dare somebody tells me I am a charioteer I am a kshatriya I will only fight I will never become a charioteer and look at Sri Krishna. He can fight and the entire Korva army will be decimated in a moment. He says, I'll become your charioteer. Look at the humility, the lesson of humility. So he says, it is God who is love. The sign of Godhead is this humility. The sign of Godhead is that one can become the serf and slave of all. There is a beautiful line in Savitri passage. I think we read last time where Shobindu describes Savitri. Savitri is the empress. An empress once whom all vied to serve. 
she made herself the diligent serf of all she goes there and says satyavan's father mother and would not spare the slightest labor of the broom and the jar and the well that she could do this is the sign of godhead this is the sign of divinity so normally we think the sign of divinity is tan ke baithna so tana hua divine nahi hota hai tana hua keval patthar hota hai if you are thinking that you can be bold straight and you know this is a sign of ego rigid ego i don't stoop to ordinary human being chota log what is the first lesson of shurbindo in alipur jail first lesson shri krishna appeared before him and says look where i am so he looks he says in these he says in our false pride we call them chota log and he showed that even in these misused bodies and darkened minds i am here so it's a lesson for him and then he says that i saw them and i felt humbled if you look at shurbindo's yoga so much knowledge vast beyond measure where did it start it started with the lesson of humility the entire pride of whatever may have been there i don't know but cambridge education 32 languages mastery where does it start when shri krishna comes and reveals to him that look look at me where i am and then he says when i saw some of these people i felt very humble that i used to pride at my intellect but here are these people who are so wonderful some of their qualities and character and then he gives actual examples so that people don't think that he is speaking of you know just like that he gives example of one man called ashwini he says he was put there on a false charge and he was death given a death sentence he says never for a moment i saw him perturbed and he had accepted it with the grace with complete resignation to god never for a moment he would say why god has done this to me he would stay in that and he says his face had such a radiant calm about him shubhendra speaks about him and then he speaks about a, a muslim um, you know butler who would come and bring things and he would often say see how bad these britishers are you people you are so nice young people you have a life in front they should have given me the sent me to the gallows why are they putting you in jail so these when he saw these things it touched him very deep that look here i mean normally we think that we are somebody great or special because you know we have a degree or we can speak better english or you know have some money to wear but look at the divine's lesson so humility that humility so will you then speak it is god who is love he is he is love who else is love but what is what is that love everywhere he is there and a boy and a slave for our passion he was made to serve he becomes all this but also he is the liberator it is god who is free and proud and the limitless tyrant our souls deserve now look shivinda has this penchant of using words which generally have a neg- negative connotation in a beautiful way so why is he using the word tyrant because when he takes over the soul he says now enough of it come with me i am not going to spare you so he becomes like a tyrant you know you may say ki bhagwan chhod do abhi thoda din aur you know like that famous prayer of saint augustine grant me chastity but not yet but when the divine touches you and captures you at one place shubhendra says in one of his thoughts and aphorism i think it was put today very nicely in that uh, i looked the recording very beautifully 
that uh, others boast of their love for God. My boast is that God came and, you know, you have the thing in front. Yeah, okay. Huh. Today is, no? Ah, very beautiful aphorisms where he says these three. Devotion is not utterly fulfilled till it becomes action and knowledge. If thou pursuest after God and canst overtake him, let him not go till thou hast his reality. If thou hast hold of his reality, insist on having also his totality. The first he will give thee divine knowledge, the second will give thee divine works and a free and perfect joy in the universe. So you see that is the totality of the God. Don't be satisfied just with some self-knowledge, little enlightenment. Why should you let him, you know, go half just after a glimpse? This is the difference, you know, when Sri Krishna revealed his Vishwarupa to Arjuna, Arjuna started trembling. But when Sri Krishna revealed his Vishwarupa to Sri Aurobindo, he said, I want all of you. <laughs> so he ended up giving himself completely. Others boast of their love for God. My boast is that I did not love God. It was He who loved me and sought me out and forced me to belong to Him. That is the tyranny of God. That He sought me and this how in the hound of heaven. This is not about that, you know, I didn't love God. It doesn't mean in that sense. It means that how much ever we may love God. Ultimately, in the last analysis, it is He who has loved us. That's why we could love. That's why we could even think of Him. And the last one, beautiful this is. After I knew that God was a woman, I learned something from far off about love. But it was only when I became a woman and served my master and paramour that I knew love utterly. So you see this Radha's complaint poem. After I became a woman and when mother was asked about this aphorism, she very quietly, when was this written? Was it after 1914? <laughs> after I knew that God was a woman. When I became a woman and served. You see, that is the beauty of love that it compels you to serve. Knowledge will not, you know, knowledge can be a source of great ego sometimes. Spiritual ego can be so dangerous. But love makes you a slave and a serf. Of whose? Of everyone. And when you look at the world with that eye, it's not about only sitting in a temple and loving God. And that's where we can remember this legend of Irumbai. Know this legend? Anyone knows about this legend? It's the story of Auroville. And don't know this legend? It's a very interesting legend of Irumbai. So it's a legend where, it's a village where there was a saint. And like a saint, he would serve everybody and that high and low is not there in him. So one day the king invites him to a court and a courtesan is dancing. So suddenly this saint, suddenly one of her, you know, gungru, what is it called? Anklet, okay. Anklet opens and falls to the ground. This saint goes very quietly, picks it up and puts it back to her feet. And everybody scorns and laughs. See, saint, abhi pata chal gaya. 
and they laugh at him scorn at him and outcast him from his heart rises a it is said he cursed but it is a way of saying that you don't understand what it means to serve what it means to love so may you become barren the story is not told like that but this is how i understand the land becomes barren why because what makes the land fertile what makes any human being fertile is love so love is the power of fertility at every level if there is no love you can't even cultivate knowledge it will be dry as dust so he says let this land become barren so people after that are what will we do is after many generations when people from all over the world will come and pluff it then it will once again bloom and it is said that that's how in oroville people from all over the world came and oroville was a barren land if you really see it was red soil where nothing could grow and then eventually you know how it has grown so it's a story again about love if you look at love it's everywhere it is there in story of rama and sita if you read um, um, this jaydev's kriti where he speaks of krishna is becoming a literally a slave to radha and saying please stone please forgive me and you know puts his head in a, on her feet now when you look at these stories then you understand the deep mystic Uh, beauty of indian thought it is not just about as it has been made today as barren devoid of all colors of life and just running away into some himalayan gorge and doing some meditation and realizing enlightenment within it's right there in life in life itself as shubhendu says is the seed of its own salvation in life so in life if we lead the life in a true way in a divine way refining everything every movement then you will see that you will arrive at its divine origin because its origin it is divine this what is called in yoga is going upstream in yoga it is said that you know in buddha story that when he put the patal and it went upstream now nothing can go upstream logically what it means is even in kundalini it is the upstream it means that normally creation is from above downwards like the ashwath tree but its origin is always divine any activity of creation take it upstream it will reach its divine origin and love of all things is a very very powerful force so not by abandoning or discarding it but by refining and transforming it is the way so this is where we close it is god who is love and a boy and a slave for a passion he was made to serve it is god who is free and proud and the limitless tyrant our souls deserve can we just have that those two pages uh, two lines from that other poem we'll close with that 300 uh, oh you remember 324 how did you remember 324 ah uh, 324 yes is it remember <laughs> okay so this is the poem where shurbindo speaks about now it means like everything there is a hierarchy of everything there is take joy delight so at its lowest it's pleasure now people often say why should you leave pleasure now if you don't leave pleasure it's not about sin and uh, good and bad this is not the conception you have the same thing in its most inferior form and you have the same thing in its original form in its original form it is delight if you want the delight you have to leave this that's how you deserve it's like a whole hierarchy so when it is said by renouncing you experience that delight 
it means this that if you renounce the lower and degraded forms you get its higher and original form this is the principle of yoga the principle of yoga is not cutting it off but to refine it so that when you renounce the inferior a greater and it is known see one of the things which often people speak about when we talk about the most vital love is the problem of things like pornography what is the problem it steals away the entire capacity for love you can take it that you know emotional love will vanish from the heart you can't love emotionally because after that and that's why i'm so much against you know women becoming a pleasure objects either in advertisement or anything because if you do that then you have degraded it so the same energy you can degrade it that's why in today's time it has become such a degrading influence because on one side it is the one power which can save if you read savitri which is the power that can save everything it is love and if you see what the vital forces have done they have twisted it the most on one side there are ascetics who for this reason say oh this is not good not good on the other side there are those who have completely degraded it completely left in the hands of the asuras but what it has to be done is to be taken up refined purified till it arrives at its highest and it is equally true of all kinds of desires from pleasure let it become a more satvik joy and shobindo describes this in the synthesis of yoga he says the uh, how does the path start he says use the buddhi to refine your joy for example instead of crude music you know typical bollywood song this that he says and of course metals completely you know you see how to diagnose very simple you see what music does to you see which part of the body it stimulates you don't have to read any philosophy about it there is a music which will start from your leg you see you play it and you'll see your legs begin to what are the legs the inconscient the subconscious <laughs> and slowly a whole head will get into the legs <laughs> no is it not true and equally there music where your hands will begin to move automatically you see and there is a music where you'll feel going into the depths have you experienced indian ragas and there is a music which will feel like a cascade coming from above western classical classical so these are forms of music where on one side it is of course sheer noise then there is so called music which will titillate your legs and the senses which entire area from pelvis downwards and there is a music which touches your heart deep inside it evokes emotions so one doesn't have to you know uh so similarly we have from the lower pleasure so there is something called as the mind taking pleasure in things and it is the ultimate instrument of pleasure and if you can reach that point with any any activity you are just one step to take it to the next level if you really look at it it is the mind which takes pleasure any sense if a person is asleep or in coma try evoking pleasure you can't because the mind is withdrawn it is the mind that takes the pleasure and that's why imagination and all this have such power and if you can start bring refine it to the level of the mind for example music shobindo gives that example so let it be like you know things of taste and that's why you will understand in ashram context how beautifully mother has put yoga in real life you see in theater we have programs you have music you have dance in indian thought it was like that so you have dance of very classical kind music so there is joy but not the joy that we today are accustomed to so when you went you enjoyed it was lovely 
to i don't i mean to i've heard some of these concerts actually seen some dance programs and they're amazing but it's a joy of a very different kind it's not yet spiritual but it is tending towards that and if you can start enjoying it you are very close rather than jumping from crude pleasure to ananda which is almost an impossible leap so go through this process so pleasure changing into joy to something more subtle happiness felicity and then finally ananda so delight comes when you renounce this lesser for the greater this all yoga is about and of course final is transformation so here um, as i said i'll just uh, read the last bit how it colors life and everything yes and when these things are done by the way what is the chariot of what is the vahana of kama you know in indian thought they are very interesting one is the parrot parrot how does it entice people by the eyes uh, by the speech okay so speech touch eyes they are means and kamadev is described as having beautiful eyes so it's very interesting you can actually connect it with many aspects but there is another this is the later version that he is in a parrot but the original vahana of uh, kama is kamadev is not parrot it is elephant powerful and it is moving into all the quarters so there is no corner of the world where he is not even the gods even the great gods so he says and when these things are done there is a whole sequence it describes when men have learned my beauty my desirability my bliss i will conceal myself from their desire and make this rule of the eternal chase so first he will give you you feel very happy and lucky and when they feel ki oh this is wonderful this is it life is this then he will suddenly conceal see this is what goes on in life it's all his play ha huh? don't blame anybody blame it on krishna <laughs> original player wearing every mask look at it when people have learned his desirability then he conceals himself and what does he do he makes this rule of the eternal chase they who abandon me shall to all time clasp and possess they who pursue shall lose what truly makes finally first he brings colors rainbow colors wakes you up you feel oh this is desirable this is desirable that is desirable when you have pursued when you have had it and you think yes this is life why should we talk about god and delight this is it and when you feel that you are you know it's the most desirable thing then he hides himself and what does he say now i'll make you the real rule so what is the rule i'll read these lines again and when these things are done it's a whole number of things when when these things are done when men have learned my beauty whose beauty kama my beauty my desirability desire everybody desires his desire itself my bliss the joy that people get in getting what they desire then what he does and when men have learned my beauty my desirability my bliss so what has he done he has brought evolution from the stage of stone up to this point 
Now he says, now I am going to change the rule. So what is the rule? I will conceal myself from their desire. And make this rule of the eternal chase. So what does it mean? He will conceal himself. So you will have the desire, but not the joy. So you don't get the joy. Why? Now he is making a new rule. They who abandon me shall to all time clasp and possess. They who pursue shall lose. And this what is the story of, one more story I can think of. <laughs> the story of Rishi Nar Narayan. You know, Nar Narayan is very interesting because they are a combination of human and the divine. Nar Narayan. And this story goes that they are doing great tapasya and as always Indra suddenly feels very threatened. Okay. No different from our politicians. The Indra of the Puranas, not the Vedic Indra. So he sends Apsaras. Final weapon. They will not, they are not scared of demons. They could kill Sahasraksh and all these. So the Apsara comes, dances. So what do Narnarayan do? They don't hide or do anything. They are just watching nicely. So after it, the whole dance is over, uh, Tillotama, she is the most beautiful Apsara in heaven. He says, so uh, Devi, why have you come? Oh, Indra has sent me to you as a gift. Oh, Acha, is it so? Okay. So, I must give a return gift. <laughs> what you will give? You are ascetics. So, out of their loins, they strike their thighs and create the most beautiful damsel, more beautiful than Tillotama. She is Urvashi. And they say, take her to Indra as a gift from our side. <laughs> so, this is a symbolic story that the mastery is so complete. It's not suppression. They mastered it so completely they have not suppressed it, but they are complete masters. And they could create all that beauty and desirability and joy that one gets from an object is already within them. And out of that, they could fill any object. See the difference? Any object they could fill with that joy, that uh, beauty, because it's within them that they hold it. So this is the principle of yoga. And the last rule, they who abandon me, Kama is saying, me is Kama. They, Kama, sorry, somebody will say, why are you saying Kama? Sometimes, you know, people write, why are you following English tones? Get the sense of it, no? (laughs) All over in English, it is written like this. Kama. Okay. They who abandon me shall to all time clasp and possess. Why? Because they have gone over. So, it says, we'll come to you. See, Shurabindo, when he arrived at silent mind, all the great goddesses of muse, please, sir, allow us to be expressed through your pen. Because he's in silent mind. They who abandon me shall to all time clasp and possess. They who pursue shall lose. So as long as all your desires are getting fulfilled, know that I am in the kindergarten of God. When he wants to take you to his post-graduation and PhD level, then he starts stripping you bare and says, at the end, Bachu, you must desire me only. <laughs> and then when you desire him only, then he fills you with everything. He says, okay, take it back. But now, don't forget, they are not yours. They are mine. <laughs> <laughs> Namaste. <laughs>